me to Leviticus chapter 4. Paul, do you have the slide? We are going to be looking at one of the longer sections in the offerings. I know it's long, and I know it's unusual, but just look at it this way. This might be the only time in your life you hear Leviticus 4 read from the pulpit for a sermon. So, so I'm encouraging you to really savor this. Uh, we're actually we're going to be dipping into Leviticus 5 because that's as far as it goes. What I am going to do is I want you to be looking for a couple things because it's going to be very repetitive. So I want you to hear in your mind what's being repeated. What's what's the emphasis? Are there anything that's different? And then, Paul, uh, can you put the projector up here, the, the slide? Here is I, I, you can also be thinking about the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Because you have the out, you have the gate, uh, you have the outer, the the outer court with with the, the curtain. Then you have the bronze altar of burnt offerings. Then you have the entrance to the tent of meeting. You have the golden altar of incense right here, and then you have the veil. And these are all going to be mentioned as we talk about the various sacrifices. So I want you to be thinking about that landscape of the furniture. And oh, you can keep it up, Paul. Well, so you can actually look for a reference if you want, as I'm reading, because there are some differences and they make a difference. They matter. So may God give us hungry hearts. May God give us reverent hearts as we come and we show obedience as we listen to this text. Leviticus chapter four. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox, the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it on a pyre of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do one of the things that the Lord commands and ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the, Lord sh- the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, 
And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus he shall do with the bull, as he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin and he shall be forgiven. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. And lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they will kill the burnt offering. Then the priest will take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sins which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of a wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt. Or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, with one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt. Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, and when he comes to know it, he realizes his guilt in any of these. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he committed, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock 
a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for his sin for him. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest. He shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from neck, from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him, that the sin he has, for the sin he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion and burn this on the offering, on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven, and the remainder shall be for the priest, as in the grain offering. This is God's word, which he has given to you today. So we start, I'll begin by asking you a question. Do you like to get dirty? Do you like to be dirty? Now, before you say no all the time, there is a good kind of dirt. Sometimes my kids will get the hose and they'll play in the mud, especially Tommy. We just have pictures of him from six months up, just covered in dirt. It's, it's fun. You could argue it's good for your immune system to a point. You can be too obsessive about kinds of, some kinds of dirt. There was an adopted grandmother of mine, Mom Harris. She had a sign in her house that said, My home is clean enough to be healthy, dirty enough to be happy. I like that. I like that. So you have to ask, well, what kind of dirt are you talking about here? You know, some kind of dirts are actually good, clean, fun in the right circumstances. But others are simply deadly. You know, we, we let our kids make mud puddles and play with them, but we would never say to our kids, hey, here's a pile of rotting fish. You know, go rolling that around for a little bit. Or you know, here's some E. coli and staff for you to play with. Yeah? Anyone want some MRSA? No. In fact, you, you can sometimes experience a retching feeling of revulsion and disgust when you come upon some kinds of dirtiness, and those you should avoid, like the plague. And I'll give you an example from my own life that has impressed this upon me. Uh, my, my nurse, when I was given a dialysis catheter, I have a tube that goes into uh, an organ in my body called the peritoneum, says, you need to be afraid of germs. Is that, that tube, which is it's, it's, it's a basic and artificial organ, it's a created organ that will help filter your, your blood, but that it is, it is warm, and it is dry, and it is moist, it has almost no antibodies, and it is directly connected to the outside via tube. And so when you're making that contact, you keep that in mind. You can, you can turn that off now, Paul. And so... I have to mask up. I have to wash with an antibacterial soap before I do any disconnections. I, I have to take a special scrub and, and scrub the outside for a minute and then let it soak for a minute and let it dry for a minute before I very quickly, very carefully make a connection. And in fact, this week I, I made a mistake. I was supposed to close the case so that when I take the cap off, 
All right, when I put the cap on, if I disconnect the line, there's, there's, it's not connected. There's no air going in. And as I was doing, I was tired and distracted. I noticed some liquid coming out of my tube, and I thought, uh-oh. So I covered it. I, I um, put the cap on with some iodine. I called my nurse. said, hey, this is what happened. She says, you need to come in. She came in. She took off part of the, the case in a sterile environment. She, she actually filled me with liquid. She, she took a sample and sent it off because she said, if, if, if you get infected, that, that could be a hospital trip. We're not playing around here. I've seen grown men cry. Scripture says that you and I are that kind of dirty before your God. Right? Your, your, your sin is that kind of deadly kind of dirty. This is the beginning here of the idea of clean and unclean that we will see more and more later in the Bible, uh, in, in Leviticus. And this, this comes from the truth that God is pure and holy in blazing intensity. Anything dirty, anything impure will be obliterated from his presence. Like, like germs are killed by an ultraviolet light, eradicated. So we are sinners before God. And so that brings us back to the question of Leviticus. How can a holy God live with a sinful people? They must be forgiven, receive atonement. Be made clean. And so what we see from here, and it's the, it's the driving truth tonight, is that in Messiah Jesus, you are clean. In Messiah Jesus, you are clean. We'll look at this from a few different ways. First of all, just the fact that sin makes you deadly dirty. Sin makes you deadly dirty. The wages of sin, Scripture says, is death. What, what is sin? I, I actually like the, the child evangelism fellowship definition, and you could always build on it, but it says if sin is anything that we, we think, or we say, or we do, that breaks God's law or makes him sad. And you could go to the Westminster Confession and get a more thorough unpacking, but it's a breaking of God's law that's a front to him, that, that grieves him in his holiness. We talked earlier that the sacrifices show you the different ways the fallout from the damage of sin. There's four ways. There's there's a price to be paid because there's a damage that's been done as you, you, you break and you violate God's order. There, there's a penalty because sin is a crime and so it deserves a proper punishment. There's a, a propitiation that needs to be made, a satisfaction. You have to be made right with God in this relationship because sin destroys and, and causes a barrier in that relationship. And finally, sin requires a purification. You and I are dirty before the Lord and we must be clean or we face death. And the problem we see here is that, that God's sanctuary, because of sin, is polluted. That because of sin, God's, the, the, the place where God wants to meet with his people is defiled. Just, just like Eden, where Adam and Eve were kicked out. Like we saw in Zechariah 3, this, this priest who's supposed to stand before the Lord is standing in, in these filthy clothes, inappropriate, which should be, should be kicked out, should be, should be tossed out just on principle. And, and what we see here, and the idea is that sin pollutes this tent of meeting. And we see that the greater the sin, uh, the responsibility, the greater the sin. The, sin, right? the, the altars, um, the curtains have to be covered with blood, sprinkled as a, a symbolic cleansing for the sin of God's people. They need to be cleansed by the blood of a pure substitute. Now, you see that just because of sin can be because of a breaking God's law and, and a moral stain, or there can also be a ritual impurity. We saw that in, in one of the readings, if, if they touched, in chapter 5, if they touched an unclean animal, there's, there's nothing inherently morally wrong except that God had said, this is, this is unclean, we'll talk about that later, but they had to be purified for that. 
Similarly, in Leviticus 12, it talks about how a woman has to be purified from childbirth. If there's a leper who is, who's healed, he has to have a sin offering to be purified. In that sense, not because they violated something of God's law, but, but in their body was reflecting something of, of needing cleansing. We'll explore those in later times. But what you see here with this idea is that sin is pollution. Sin, sin is this fouling up um, in Deuteronomy, there's the passage, Deuteronomy 21, where, where there is someone who is found dead, and there's no murderer found, they don't know how, and so they have to mark off to the closest town. And then those elders have to come out and say, we, we don't know who did this or how this happened, and then they take a heifer and they break the neck of the heifer, because even though there was no guilt found out, the land was still polluted by the sin. There's somehow a stain that's there. It, it, it needs to be washed away. And so this idea tells you of pollution tells you something about your sin. It is deadly dirty. It is rotting. It is corrupting. It is ruining. Think about how sin can just get in and, and make the good things bad and turn them to bad. It, it pollutes the person and the world around us. I kind of like to say sin is like littering, but I think that's just too light. It's much more like taking raw sewage trucks to Longwood Gardens and just dumping it there. It takes what God is good and beautiful and makes it, and makes it stink and deadly. And it's not just the places that become polluted and dirty, but it's you and me. Have you ever felt dirty inside? Could be something you've done. And afterwards, you feel dirty, unclean. It could be something in your mind. Right? The way that you are envious about someone else's success. The way that you, you cut them down, either in words or, or just in your thoughts behind their back. The way that you dwelled in lustful, lustful thoughts. Maybe sexist, maybe racist thoughts. Our, our society is very keen and sensitive about those sins, but they are sins nonetheless, are they not? And you can have these thoughts about other people who are different than you. Or you could have angry, hateful thoughts, especially when you were tired or weak. I remember when I was, this was last October, I'd just come back from my CAR T therapy. It was very weak, um, feeling very bad. Sammy, the kid, the Tommy Rachel were down. Sammy was missing his mommy. He's not, he's just four years old and he's crying for her. But I thought she had, he had his time and I needed the comfort of my wife. And I was thinking inside, look kid, it's time for you to go. It wasn't quite murderous, but I'll tell you, when you, were, when you were a tired, weak, cranky person, all of a sudden these thoughts, they come up. And you say, is that me? Right? And you feel dirty. And that's because in reality, sin stains you in me. It leaves you polluted and defiled. You cannot enter God's holy presence. By the way, feeling dirty is one of the aspects of shame. You feel, if you're ashamed... If you're experiencing shame, maybe it's because you feel dirty inside. Your sin or others. Now, scripture gives you real categories to deal with this sin. It is real and deadly, but it doesn't leave you there. It's not like a lot of the other solutions out there that says, well, you know, it, it doesn't make that much of a difference. I don't know if you've seen the ads for meditation. I think once I was in a YouTube ad for Headspace, and it says, you know, you just, 
you need to meditate, and when you do that, thoughts are going to come out of you, and they kind of make it trivial. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a man with a little cartoon on an airplane, and the child's crying, and in his mind, he takes the child and throws it out the airlock, right? It's kind of, there's a cat that's, and he takes it and throws it in the trash, or he has this idea of a person in a kinky output, and, and it's very cutesy, and say, hey, but they say, you know, that's, that's not really you. Just, just let it go. It's not part of you, it doesn't affect you. But it does. It's a kind of dirty, deadly sin. And we need a solution. What the scripture says is that only blood can make you clean. That's what we see here in the sin offering. The blood makes you clean. Let's take a look at the sin offering and see how, how is it different from the others. Now, it's, it's towards the end of these five offerings. It's four out of five. And, and four and five are, are very similar. The sin and the guilt offering. But whenever there was a series of offerings, it always had to come first to clear the ground so that you would be made acceptable with God. It was required for, as we saw here, for unintentional sins or, or sins of omission where you forgot to do something. So Pastor Peter, last night we, we, had a, um, we had a session meeting and he said, hey, could you call so-and-so this morning? And I said, I'll, I'll do it. And I, I set my phone and of course then I left my phone um, in my house and came over and was furiously finishing up my sermon and so... He said, did you call so-and-so? And I said, I forgot. That would be a sin of omission. Right? Um, question, can you be forgiven of an intentional sin? Is, are there sacrifices for in, for, that, are, that are available for intentional sins? Well, sometimes no. We're not going to turn there, but if you look at Numbers 15, 30 through 31, there's something called a high-handed sin where you're sinning deliberately against God, and, and that cannot be atoned for. But we do see hints of God's mercy. David would have sinned a high-handed sin in his murdering of Uriah, the Hittite, and then taking his wife and his adultery. But God did forgive him. And many commentators think that if you acknowledged your sin and confessed it, then that would be viewed then as a sin that would be accepted for um, the sacrifice, the sin offering. Well, let's look at the differences between that we see here. And as I read, these various... Um, various applications of this sin offering. Well, first of all, you see the anointed priest and the, con- the congregation. That was one set, and then we'll have other sets of the regular people. And, and so they take the blood, and here they go inside the tent of meeting. This is where only the priests can go, and would have to sprinkle the blood before the veil. Now, this, is, this is talking about going right into God's presence and, and how the leader that represents the people or the congregation itself, their, their sin was greater and so, so polluted even a greater impact. And so I had to go right before the Lord's presence and sprinkle the veil seven times and, and then the altar right there that, that, that represented life with the Lord. And then they would offer the rest on the altar and the choicest parts are burned. Or if you remember from previous Sermons, the, the verb there is the verb which means turn to smoke, made to incense. This is how, through sacrifice, you ascend to God. Right? This in your place comes up before the Lord. And the rest, it says, is burned outside the camp. That's actually a different word in the Hebrew, which would mean incinerated. The word is seraph. might sound similar to seraphim, like the burning ones. And so, so this, the, the parts of the fat, same as the peace offering, are, are offered to the Lord. It's, it's sent up in the smoke to him. It is accepted. And then everything else is, is burned as unclean outside the camp. Now, the leader, and the, congr- uh, the leader or just people of the congregation, uh, it, the sin is not as extensive. And so the blood stays outside the tent of meeting. It's in the court. 
and it's placed smeared on the burnt offer, uh, the altar of the burnt offering. And although we didn't read it here, as, as you read on further rules in chapter 6, here the priest is allowed to eat some of the burnt offering as part of his due, as part of his wages, how he was supported. And so you might ask, well, why was he allowed to eat of this burnt offering and not the burnt offering for the congregation or himself? Well, that's because he was involved in the sin. In that case, whether it was directly him or the people, as he's part of the people, and so he, he should not eat of something, benefit of part, which, which he has been sinned for the same reason that he didn't pronounce forgiveness upon himself. Let's just look at this a little bit more, this idea of the priests and the people and why this is different. And, and we will tie this back in the end to our sermon application, but sometimes it's just helpful to see the mindset that's going on to help us understand the Bible in general. Why is it that, say, the priest... And his sin is so much more significant than the sin of a leader or someone else. Why, why is it that for the priest, he's the only person where you have to go into the tent of meeting and sprinkle the, the altar, the, the, the veil, and then, and then that special altar? What we see here is that the priest is acting as a representative, what we would call a covenant head. Right? When he sins, all Israel is guilty. In fact, it says, if the anointed priest sins... Um, most likely this means the high priest, by the way. Anointed would be the word Messiah, Messiah. We get that from, from Messiah. But if he sins, then he brings guilt on all of God's people. And likewise, you see the elders and the assembly standing in for the congregation. There's these groups. The elders and the assembly might be a little different, but, but there's these groups of, of people, these men who are leaders, representing and acting for all the people of Israel. Now, why does this matter? Why do I bring this up? Well, this shows how there is a natural headship covenant idea that fits into Scripture. Why do we baptize infants? Why, why do we have what we call covenant household baptisms, as we learned in our Sunday school class? Because the parents are the heads of their children until they leave, and they represent them. And so, when you understand that and what's going on in the Old Testament, and then you hear language... Like, Repent and be baptized and you will be saved, you and your household. And it talks about these household baptisms. It, it starts to make sense that because the parents represent their children and how circumcision fits in as well, the children should be baptized. And if you recognize how normal this, this idea of covenant headship is in the Old Testament, it becomes a very powerful under, lens for understanding the New Testament when you come and listen to these passages. I remember talking about this to a dear friend of mine. She's, She's, uh, she's Baptistic and a great friend in the Lord. And we talk about these things sometimes. And I mentioned about this household principle. And she said, well, I, I really don't think I see that happening, this headship principle in the Old Testament. And so I mentioned what I think is the clearest illustration is Achan's sin, where Achan breaks the devoted, he, he, he covets some of the devoted things that are, that are set apart to the Lord. He takes them and then Israel's defeated and the Lord comes and brings judgment on Achan of Israel, and then finally Achan's found out, and he and his family are put to death. And she said, well, I think, I think that's more of an exception rather than the rule. She said, I, I just don't think that's how it's working. Well, I would argue from, from our passage that we read here and others that how Achan's sin brought judgment on his family was rather very normal and natural in the Old Testament times. And, and so when we're talking about covenant headship or representation, it, it's, it's not these, these abstract categories that we brought in from the outside. It's because we see it from the text. 
Now, we will talk about why that matters a little bit more for us in a bit, but it does help us understand the Bible, just as we're putting it together. So sin is deadly dirty. There's, there's guilt, there's this legal verdict, but there's also defilement and pollution. And Hebrews comments on this in 9.22, where it says, it's, it's taking this whole idea, indeed, under the law, everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now today, this, the view of this is this forgiveness for sins, like, that somebody had to die is barbaric. God just needs to lighten up. Stop, stop demanding your pound of flesh. Be the bigger person, God. But this is God's mercy to you. And we talked about how, how, how you realize those times where you realize that you are dirty. He acknowledges your helplessness and depravity. That you are stained and unacceptable and without hope. And he provides the only hope, the cleansing life of another. Right? The, you, 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 are, you are forgiven and clean. The sanctuary is clean. There's a way open for you standing in God's presence. You, I don't know if you picked it. You probably didn't count. But you hear the, 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 the refrain, and he will be forgiven. And he will be forgiven. Six times. Three times in the next section. And the commentators know this is a passive verb. This is something that happens to you. You can't forgive yourself. It's, it's something that only God can do. <clears throat> That's why we just heard last week, about, or two weeks ago, about the, the paralytic. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are shocked. And rightly so, because they understand how hard it is to forgive sins and what has to be done. Only God can do that. And yet there are limitations to this beauty. Here you see sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And the anointed high priest, the Messiah high priest, has to offer a sacrifice for himself. Why does Leviticus matter? Because it asks the right questions. We're defiled. And how would he get to God's presence? It teaches you about his character and mercy, but it still shows that we need a final high priest, a final Messiah. And we find in Messiah Jesus, he is your sacrificial lamb. Hebrews 9 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of bloods of goats and calves. We read a lot about that. But by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of the defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of heifers sanctifies for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The New Testament begins. John the Baptist comes on the scene. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is not a precious moment statement. It is a beautiful yet graphic fulfillment of the sacrificial system where God provides the fulfillment at the cost of his own son, written in his own blood. And the truth is that you are clean. Your representative, your covenant head now stands for you. And this is why this representation, the headship matters so much. Because you need a, head, you need a covenant head, not like the high priest who brings guilt on the congregation, but who takes your guilt and gives you righteousness. Verse after verse, the New Testament talks about this. And in 1 Peter 1, 1, he says, we've, we've been saved for sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with His blood. John, 
1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. The picture of the saints in Revelation talks about this great multitude from every tongue and tribe and nation in white robes standing and praising the Lord. And then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come? And John said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes. They have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. People of God, Messiah Jesus, you are clean. Your sin is pollution. The shame is washed away in the way nothing else can. And so as we go out this week, I ask you, how do you view your sin? Kids, how do you view your sin? When you disobey your parents when they're not looking. Workers, how do you view your sin when you you slack off on the job when your boss is working? Do you you view it as good, mostly clean fun? You know, just get not too dirty, but a little dirty every once in a while. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls. Do you view it as a deadly disease? That without the blood of Jesus would, would banish you from God and cause you death. I'll say to you tonight, rejoice that you are clean. Your shame is banished. Your dirt is gone. It is the power of sanctification. And if Jesus has given his blood for your cleansing. And once again, how will this not change the way that you view sin? That you want to avoid it. That you want to grow in Him because you are clean. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we come, we finish along in a foreign passage, but it is the ground, it is the backdrop of the truths that we know so well. With the time that we've spent here, Give us firmer categories, a a deeper love, a desire to hear and hear again how Jesus has made us clean, to rejoice in who he is as the only one who can take away the pollution of our sin, that we have been cleansed, that we've been washed in his blood. And so would you send us out this day, a joyful people who are rejoicing, the Savior who can do what no one else can do or promise. And so we rest in him. Amen.